0: Welcome to the London Lyceum, where we try to encourage listeners, especially our Baptist listeners, to think deeply and clearly. Think about their faith, think about their church, think about their life, and think about God. We're analytic, Baptist, and confessional. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy the episode. Welcome back to another episode of the London Lyceum. I am one of your co-hosts, Jordan Stefaniak. And I'm your
1: other co-host, Brandon Askew.
0: And we are very excited to have an excellent guest with us today, Corby Amos. Hey, guys. So, yeah, welcome. Hey, man. Yeah. Thanks, uh, thanks for taking the time to talk with us and uh, answer a couple questions. I think our listeners are going to be very much uh, benefited from what you have to tell us today.
2: Very good, yeah. Look forward to it.
0: So... Corby, before we get started asking some more uh, theological questions, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? I'm going to give you kind of free reign to tell us what you want. Uh, if, if you want to tell us about some obscure thing, you're welcome to, or uh, just a little bit about uh, kind of, you know, your background or, or anything.
2: Right, sure, yeah. Um, yeah, that's wide open. I'll just say I am a uh, Sunday school teacher at a Southern Baptist church here in Suffolk, Virginia. And that's kind of the backdrop for most of the um, uh, events that have happened in my Christian life since probably about 2003, 2004. So, uh, And by that, I mean my obsession with reading, uh, reading to be a better teacher, my love of reading, my love of, of the Bible, and uh, trying to read so I can have a better idea of what's going on in Scripture. And um, that's just been the the thing that's driven my, I guess, intellectual love of Christianity as well as my spiritual love of Christianity and and of Christ. So yeah, we'll we'll keep it brief. How's that? Okay. Yeah, that yeah. sounds great. Uh, yeah. And oddly
0: enough, um, we connected through Twitter, but we have kind of a, I guess, a mutual friend. Yes. Uh, at your church, so. Yeah, we should, sure do. Yeah. Weirdly enough, I was roommates with I guess the new youth pastor at your church. Well, I guess he's not new anymore. He's been there for a little while. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That <laughs> so is funny a, how yeah, that's that's a trip. Yep. Yep. Uh, funny how that works. Yeah. Um, he,
2: and he 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 highly recommends you. So yeah, we're, we're that's good.
0: <laughs> well, he, he's being too kind. <laughs> so one thing I know when how you introduce yourself, you you mentioned your love of reading, and I'm just curious. I know I didn't ask you before about this, but were you always a reader?
2: No, I, I wasn't actually always a reader. Um, I just, I don't know how, I was burdened to, to get into reading just because of the responsibility I felt as, te- as a teacher. Um, mm. I, I had to learn myself, and there were so many things that I didn't know and still don't. And, um, but reading was the only solution I could find to to just kind of, um, provide substance to what I was trying to do in, in the Sunday school class and in my own walk. Um, so it was just, it just became a necessary ingredient to my spiritual life. And also there's, I had to do a lot of reading and, and during periods of my life, it was helpful, um, for during my teaching years, which are still going on to, to, uh, grow spiritually like sin fighting and all that kind of stuff so it it just reading just became um like a a weapon a tool in my christian walk to just make me a better teacher and to make me a better sin fighter and and to grow my love and understanding of who god is
0: yeah i love that and yeah man that's good stuff you don't have any like academic de- degrees regarding religion or anything right No, (laughs) no, I don't.
2: (laughs) My academic degree is in cultural anthropology. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wow.
0: Yeah, I I mean, I think that's a tremendous example. And I mean, I can't imagine how much better off all of our churches would be if our Sunday school teachers were as serious about uh, God and reading as you are.
2: Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm with you on that. Absolutely. So,
1: so Corby, when um, me and Jordan were first talking about, you know, having you on the the podcast, and he was, you know, describing you to me and everything. Um, he said that you're obsessed with the Trinity. Um, you're kind of known as the Trinity guy. I was asking him who we were going to uh, be interviewing today, and he was like, "Oh, this is the Trinity guy." So, but um, <laughs> yeah. that said, let's let's just kind of like dive right into uh, that That's topic. Funny. And so, why don't you just yep. start out by telling us, you know, what what kind of sparked this love uh, for studying the Trinity?
2: Yeah, sure. So, um, I mean, for years I was, as as we just talked about, I would read, 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 read to, to for all those reasons we just discussed. But one thing I never really uh, read about was the Trinity. I had a huge blind spot for the Trinity. I couldn't have defined it. I didn't really understand it. I knew we were to believe in it, and so um, I, I ha- right now I have I had what I described as kind of like a, a na- naive. Jesus just is God, kind of Trinitarianism, with no understanding of of the relations of the persons and how they relate to the divine nature and all that kind of stuff. And so that that type of Trinitarianism, that unexamined and and not very deep Trinitarianism, is at least for me, was very vulnerable to arguments that some Unitarians were making. And so I had I had stumbled upon a, a podcast from Dale Tuggy. Uh, by accident, because he happened to have Larry Hurtado on there, whom who I love, his scholarship, and so I listened to that podcast and said, "Man, I like how Dale does this because he doesn't, you know, he just goes right in and starts digging in." So I listened to some more, and he had a bunch of theologians on there, all of whom were Trinitarians, but there he was a is a biblical Unitarian, and, and he argues all the time how um, the, the problems that that type of trinitarianism i had had and so it really messed me up i mean i was hanging on by a thread um and it was a larry hurtado thread really. <laughs> and uh he he saved me and um so at that point i was like okay what do i do you know i well the only thing i knew how to do which is okay i got to start reading and that's what i did i just to save my trinitarianism i had to read about the trinity i had to understand it like from the nuts and bolts from the very beginning to to where we are now and that's in the process of that i just like fell in love with the whole doctrine because it contains everything it it's it's church history it's theology it's philosophy it's worship it's just everything is contained in the trinity and um that's, I don't know that, that's just what happened and, and and it's and the the it was a huge gateway into like the Cappadocians in the fourth century and and I I've just benefited enormously through reading those guys and and so that's that's where the obsession started saving my Trinitarianism and just being um, drawn in to all the the different aspects that one needs to wrestle with to uh, understand one's Trinitarianism. Yeah, so I mean,
0: yeah. that's excellent. And I think you kind of answered another question I was going to have for you about um, what saved your Trinitarianism from that crisis that you had. Um, it seems you mentioned Larry Hurtado, you mentioned uh, the Cappadocians. Was there anyone else who was really influential in helping you not become a Unitarian?
2: Yeah, yeah sure. So, um, I, I had, you know, I was reading a lot of Protestant evangelical stuff on the Trinity. And and this is another benefit of, 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 the, of an inception with the Trinity is you have to go into different traditions. And so, um, I, I just inevitably, uh, ended up learning about guys like John Bear. These are all Eastern Orthodox guys and Bo Branson and guys like that. And so I stumbled into the monarchy of the father view of Trinitarianism, which is usually associated with Eastern Orthodoxy or the East, but it doesn't have to be. And so um, that is what that particular view of the Trinity and those guys, John Bear, and all those guys, um, uh, are what really uh, saved it. I mean, to put it honestly, just just gave me something that, I was like, yeah, this I can just sink my heart and mind into and embrace 100% and and feel like it 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 has weight and merit. And uh, so, yeah. Okay. Monarchy of the Father. Yeah, yeah, so
0: talk to me about the monarchy of the Father. I think I would imagine most of our listeners, uh, most evangelicals, if you mention that phrase, are going to have no idea what that means. So why don't you... Give us a short little synopsis of what the monarchy of the
2: Father actually means. <laughs> okay. Um, usually when you read about it, what you're going to run into are, are words like um, the, the monarchy of the Father is just saying that the Father is the cause and source of the Trinity. So he is, he is the cause and source of the Son and of the Spirit, not in a material way. That's where you can get into trouble. And, and that there's a taxis, there's an order. The Father's first, the Son is second, the Spirit is third. And that the divinity, the divine nature is proper to the Father. And so it, this then takes into the eternal processions, where um, the the, son, the Father begets the Son and spirates the Spirit. And so that's why they, the Father is seen as the source of the Trinity, because it all starts with Him in that taxes and that order and flows from the, into the Son to the spirit. And of course there's, there's other things, uh, like monarchy of the father really for me makes a whole lot more sense of the biblical language. When you read scripture, it just jives better with, with the grammar that monarchy of the father has than more symmetrical models that modern Protestant evangelicals have. And it, it, Really does a better job, and this is just my opinion, of upholding the distinctions between the three persons. So, um, as as compared to other symmetrical models, like people like in just normal lay folk evangelicals, um, they're going to get a little lazy, and they're just going to say, "Yeah, they're all God. They don't know what is means. They don't know what God means, but they're just all God." and that's fine. I'm done. And so, um, I just, I just like how monarchy the father deals with all that stuff. So, and that's, I mean, that's just part of it, but yeah, hopefully that'll give you something to chew on.
0: Okay. So for those who are unfamiliar with it, now they've got a little taste of it. How would you say that that primarily differs from the traditional more, I guess, maybe Western, depending on if you think there's a distinction between Western and Eastern Trinitarianism's?
2: Yeah, sure. Yeah, that's a good question because um it depends on who you ask. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like yeah. like there's there's obviously some guys on Twitter that are um uh don't see any difference on a lot of well, I'm not gonna say I don't see any difference, but but ultimately, ontologically there's no difference between like uh Thomas Aquinas' Trinitarianism and and Basils or Nyssa's trinitarianism. Right, they would say
0: it's more but, just language differences.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's right. And and there's there are uh, there are differences like the the divine simplicity for the Cappadocians is a little weaker than Aquinas's simplicity. It's fine, whatever. But when you get more like into like my peers in the evangelical church, just normal lay folk without any degrees, um yeah, their their trinitarianism is like i talked about at the beginning with what mine used to be there it's it's just uh um jesus is god the father is god the spirit is god and so there's there's no understanding on okay that's good so how do we make a distinction between the three so they're not all the same god so we don't run into the right the other problems as in as in there aren't any distinctions between those persons is that a numerical is? Is it a relative identity is? Is the is predicating the nature? Is it is it signifying something else? And so, m- symmetrical models have a way to do that. Monarchy, the father model has a way to do that. But the kind of trinitarianism trinitarianism that I had had no way to do that. It just it, it didn't care, and it it didn't. Um, so as a result, it it didn't value the the nuance and the importance of the nuance and understanding the father son and spirit uh, in the life of one's in one's spiritual life and in the life of the church i think that's i mean that's just from my own opinion that's just how it, how it played out
0: yeah that's good yeah. and i think that's helpful for kind of at least people understanding what might be the benefit of this particular trinitarianism so one thing i always like to do is think when we're, when i'm thinking about Different doctrinal positions. Thinking through what are the benefits that I'm going to get if I affirm this, and what are the costs that might come along with mm-hmm. this position. So, do you think there's any cost to affirming something like the monarchy of the Father?
2: Yeah, I. Well, yeah. <laughs> um, some people look at you funny. I when I talk to my pastor about it, for example. Um, he was. He seemed a little concerned at first, but then he did some research himself and was like, "Oh, okay, that's cool." <laughs> so there's that. There's that awkward uh, bit of stuff. But yeah, um, it can be improperly understood as as subordinationist mm-hmm. because the because the father. When you talk about the father's the source and the cause of the son, people are like, "Wait a minute, what's going on here?" But yeah, um, so you're but, doing the functional subordinationism, if not <laughs> right, right, <laughs> and. And of course that's that's not the case right. Um, but it can be taken that way if not understood properly. And um, uh, I did mention it has a weaker view of simplicity. Some people don't like that at all, so um, they might shy away from it for that reason. and that's because they the Cappadocians, for example, in my opinion, really valued making, understanding like real distinctions. And I know Aquinas wants to make real distinctions too, but he does it differently. But one of the ways they did it was they had a weaker view of divine simplicity. So some people might see that as a problem. Some, uh, the source and cause language is, you know, p- people don't like that. And um, uh, I don't know, think, things like that. I've, I've not run into any, I, th- I think there are, when you, here's another one. On, on Monarchy of the Father, um, the affirmation is that if you if you ask me, okay, who is the one God? I'm going to say the Father. I'm not going to say the Trinity. I'm going to say the one God is God the Father, just like Scripture says. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's who God is. And some people don't like that. That's an asymmetrical type of grammar. They, they prefer the symmetrical type. Well, God is the Trinity, so they're all God. And... So, you know, part of that's what you're used to because ultimately I think most of the ontology behind it is the same. I'm still trying to figure that out, but the grammar's totally different. And so Mike freak freak people out. So that's one, that's another cost.
1: Yeah, so, um, you mentioned, you know, the language of scripture and, um, so just to kind of shift gears a little bit, um, not much, but you know, how has your, um, your understanding of the Trinity and and how it changed? How has that changed the way that, that you approach the scriptures themselves? Do you, um, has your hermeneutic changed at all? And, you know, how would you suggest that we, um, you know, as Christians approach the Bible just in general?
2: Oh, <laughs> that's a big question. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, all right. Like, let's just say I'm reading scripture casually, not studying for a lesson or anything. When I come across the words "one God" or "God the Father" or "one Lord Jesus Christ," I now understand those in a very specific way, which helps me, in my opinion, read a bit, be a better reader of Scripture. So they're not none of that's fuzzy for me anymore. Those words, God, and all that stuff. Um, so that's one way it it, it helps. Um, the other way is that it. Uh, it gives me a like a a, a good grid on how to s- how to see in scripture the the inseparable operations you know the father through the son through the spirit working in scripture and and understand it through through monarchy of the father language so when i'm reading the bible now i i don't know i just have like i just have more you know we all come to scripture with baggage well now i got what I think is better informed baggage about (laughs) who God is. And so when I, when I'm reading scripture, obviously all that impinges on, on what I'm seeing and it, and it, it just helps me make more sense of stuff that I used to not be able to make sense of. Like, like, you know, when, when Paul says, um, yeah, God, the father of our Lord, Jesus Christ, wait, Jesus has a God. What does that mean? What are you talking about? You know, and so or First Corinthians eight, six, one God the Father and one Lord Jesus Christ. I can now, with monarchy the Father grammar, make what I think is better sense of that than certainly than I ever could before. Yeah. And and so it's a it's a tool to um, make me a better reader of Scripture, I think. And all this has made me really really aware of the the just generally the importance of bringing a Trinitarian reading to scripture, whether you go with my model that I like or some other model, I, I never used to be a reader of scripture and think about the Trinity. Never hmm. it was, just, it was just not part of my uh, makeup. And now that's fundamental to reading scripture for me. So uh, like, uh, uh, there's a book that came out not long ago, um, Divine Scripture and Human Understanding from Joseph Gordon I'm I'm working my way through that.
0: I've got that on the way in the mail.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and he just he one of his main premises is that um it, you're we we have to come to scripture with that uh, triune God kind of informing everything. I got a quote. I think he says uh, scripture serves as a useful and virtually indispensable instrument through which the triune God accomplishes God's work in history both in presenting and testifying to that work and through affecting that work in its readers and hearers. And so now I like I hear that and I go, "Oh yeah, so I can see how God the Father, the Son of God and the Spirit are all at work in scripture to bring about the shaping of image bearers and all that kind of stuff." And I just, you know, it just it just brings more meat to my reading of scripture does that make sense yeah i'm rambling no that's great i'm rambling yeah no
1: that's 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 great that's really good stuff you
0: you know one thing you mentioned in there that i just want to comment on about differing models of the trinity i think that's a a good reminder for at least some of our listeners because i think some of them are going to be very at least antagonistic to some degree to the monarchy of the father idea um but i think there are several orthodox models of the Trinity uh, that all fit within that bound of orthodoxy yes. so that you, when you use the word model, I think that's just a good way to kind of approach it and to remind people that these are models. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to some degree, I mean, God it s- does surpass our understanding to a degree where we don't have, I don't think hundred percent clarity on every minute detail of the Trinity. I think, I mean, yeah. As you mentioned, when we read the Bible, it's not like a manual that's going to give me, you know, a six part systematic theology mm-hmm. of the Trinity. It's right. giving me a lot of pieces in a lot of different places, and I'm having to put them together to some degree. Right. And yeah. I, you know, I'm a sinful person. I, I've got clouded think- thinking. I'm not perfect. I haven't been encountered to everything. So I'm going to make mistakes. Yeah. So I think it's good to be humble uh, when we come to that and knowing that there's, areas where we can learn and
2: be, uh, understand who God is in a greater way. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, and this, this particular view of the Trinity is, is what is occupying my energy now. It doesn't mean that I'm, I'm not going to move into something else later. I mean, history moved the Trinity into different directions. So maybe I'm going to move along with history as I get into Augustine or somebody else. I have, I have have, have you done much with Augustine yet? Not a lot. Okay, I to, I'll be I interested to, think, yes. to
0: see what you think when you uh, engage him. Yeah. Because uh, I know you've read Lewis Ayers, right? Yes. Uh huh. Yep. And I know, I think a lot of the people who are going to be a little bit, you know, farther away from your position are probably going to look at a- somebody like Ayers as kind of like the pinnacle. Right. Um. So people who are more Augustinian, more Thomistic, are going to be more along his lines. So, what? where do you think you disagree with, with Ayers?
2: Oh man, that's like, that's like a question you ask like a smart person.
0: Yeah, I know. <laughs> I've thrown it out of left field here, so <laughs> you can put it if you want to. So. Yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah, I might I might have to put that. Um I I love his book. It was actually uh, really helpful to me in understanding the history of of the 4th century. And mm-hmm. I think this is uh, I don't I read um a couple of his things. One of them was on Augustine and he he at least i think if i remember correctly acknowledges that the way Augustine goes about it is different in in a lot of ways than the way the cappadocians went about it but i but i i don't think even he believes that like down down deep 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 they're at odds with each other and so yeah that that's what i just keep reminding myself of I I think a lot of the disagreements are just the grammar, the language, Um, or maybe I know this is a tired trope, but I think maybe the emphasis on the, the, the equality of the persons and the divine nature versus the distinction of the persons. And, you know, yeah, I
1: think that's a good point. I I remember reading, um, a chapter in one of Michael Ray's, uh, His, uh, I think it's an Oxford uh, handbook on philosophical theology. One of the chapters in there, I believe it was Richard Cross, but the whole thesis of that chapter was that this, you know, um, distinction that we make between Eastern Trinitarianism and Western is way overblown. And that, you know, the differences between the East and the West are not as vast as um, we've been made to believe uh, in the past so yeah. i don't yeah. know if you agree with that or not but yeah I th-
2: well i even i i read a paper from john bear and he yeah he conceded that that that's not correct oh he would he just he did say however that augustine did introduce s- some new grammar into the equation for example that god is the trinity so got it yeah okay. but yeah underneath the surface you know i don't i don't I I don't see the difference and actually conversations on Twitter have helped me uh a lot in in coming to that conclusion. Uh I'm pretty sure I'm set on that conclusion for the time being. But yeah. So in other words, um uh like uh gosh, what's his name? Glenn, he just is it Glenn uh, Glenn Butler? Glenn Butler? Yeah. 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 So he he's all about the monarchy, of the father, he affirms the asymmetry and all that stuff. But of course he just wrote a book uh refuting the whole eternal functional subordination stuff
1: yeah mm-hmm.
2: and and he's he he's recently sh- shot out some quotes from basil about yeah the will is located in a divine nature not in the persons and basil of course is like he's like the one of the head honchos of the monarchy of the father and so there's really nothing to be afraid of it's just the language they use is just weirder if you're coming from a different tradition, but man, it just helps make so much more sense of the Bible. That's I think, helpful. Just yeah, I,
0: you know, honestly, your comment about who is God, the father or, or the Trinity. That's, that's one that I, I really honestly haven't considered a ton. Yeah. Um, I focus more on divine attributes and mm-hmm. Christology and some other things rather than necessarily the Trinity. Yeah. So that's something that <laughs> I feel like I should think about.
2: Yeah. That's funny. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I listen. I ask my class sometimes. I'll say, "All right, when when you when we use the word God, what do we mean?" And it's amazing what kind of answers you'll get. Everybody has something different different in in mind, right? So, um, clarity. It always helps us to have clarity about what we mean by these words. Yeah, no, that's good. <laughs> and, and when you're when you're talking about God as a Trinity, well, now you got to unpack what those words mean. You know, right.
1: So, um, you know, you just brought up your class, so it kind of leads into the next thing I wanted to ask, you know, why should the average church member care about the Trinity and, and really make it something that they, you know, take the time to study?
2: Okay, man, that's a good question too. I love that question. Um, a bunch of reasons off the top of my head, Well, well, for starters, when you're learning about the Trinity, that means you're thinking about God and not yourself. So that's always good. (laughs) I like that. So so it's like a check mark in the, it's not all about you column. (laughs) That's
1: always good. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Like how does, how is this, I'm going to go to church tomorrow and I need to know how I can drive better in traffic. (laughs) (laughs) So you can put that aside for a little bit. Um, uh, And kind of related to that, it's a shame that we have to convince Christians to care about hmm. something like the Trinity, but that's, a, that's another issue. Yeah. Um, I think that the Trinity makes for like a, I don't know, like a thicker or bigger Christianity. It's like more transcendent, more beautiful. I'm I'm getting a little flowery here, but <laughs> that like historically and theologically it's, it's like, for me, it's just made scripture come alive in a different way. Um, like for example, you read the Gospel of John. All right, I taught the Gospel of John uh, five six years ago before I went through this Trinitarian stuff, and I really want to teach it again <laughs> with with what I know now because the the thing I like completely overlooked because I didn't have my Trinitarian goggles on at all was that how in, how important it was for Christ. Part of his mission was to direct us to behold the father it's like part of what he wanted to do was through him to see the father it's like man that's mm. that's wild I don't ever hear that talked about in a in a normal evangelical church um Jesus is bringing us to the Father anyway uh like John seventeen you know all that stuff um so that's an example of how it kind of makes. Christianity may, or your reading of scripture kind of thicker and bigger and more beautiful?
1: Yeah, I think that's such a good point because, you know, I was just reading, um, this is actually for school, but uh, Gerald Bray's book, The Doctrine of God. And one of the points that he made is that, you know, there's been an overemphasis in most of our evangelical churches on fellowship and sharing. Not that those things are bad at all, but Mm -hmm. there's been a lack of emphasis on the transcendence of God and the majesty of God. And I think you're right that if, you know, we shift a focus, you know, to the Trinity, we can't help but see, you know, the transcendence and the majesty of God. Um, mm-hmm. so that's, I mean, I'm really glad you said yeah. that That was something I was actually yeah. thinking about last night.
2: Yeah. I, I mean, and you learn the word apophaticism, you know, when you, <laughs> when you, start, when you start getting into the Trinity, but yeah. Um, that's, that's a that's right um say another one is like um uh, um and this is where evangelical churches kind of fall behind i think more high church stuff is that um here's a, this is a dumb example i'm gonna give it anyway <laughs> so there was that there was that royal wedding um uh, was that megan markle and when did, when did she get married To the prince, like last summer, I think I don't know. Yeah, I'm ashamed. uh, Well, I I know that. that Yeah, so that was that was an Anglican wedding, and man, that thing was full of Trinitarian language. I mean, I was blown away. Well, most Protestant evangelical churches do not have that kind of language at all, except when we baptize or take the Lord's Supper, right? And so, um, a reason that. The Trinity is important, especially for Protestant evangelicals, is it it forces us, hopefully, to recognize the the found the Trinitarian foundations for those sacraments and for worship, and to be more cognizant of how the Father, Son, and Spirit work in those things. You know what I mean? Am I making any sense at all? Yes, it's just, absolutely. Yeah. It's, e- even if it's just reflection that that we're recognizing the those three persons in the act of baptism or or, you know even worship you know when we're when we're singing songs when we sing songs to god like you're now now you have to reflect on what do you mean by that right and Mm -hmm. so it just it just it just draws out more um reflection really i know i just said that on on who God is and what he's doing. So that's another one. And then of course, a huge one is that, uh, our salvation has a Trinitarian basis. And in, you know, my tradition, basically salvation is you're saved from your sins. I I call that kind of a thin view of salvation. Yeah. I would say that's fair. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, well, In in other traditions, like I talked about this earlier, where you have to contend with other traditions when you dig into the Trinity, you know, there's that word that scares some evangelicals away called theosis, and so salvation is like a a, this triune act of joining us into the the image of God, in in the Father, Son, and Spirit. Like, um, I actually here we go. I'm just pulling this up. One of our Twitter buddies just tweeted this today from (laughs) Catherine Tanner about it's a uh, from I think it's from her book Christ is Key and she says um, Christ is by divine nature excuse me Christ is by nature the divine son who images the father human beings by the grace of the Holy Spirit become sons in the image of the divine image and thereby of the father I mean, that's awesome. That's, that's the Trinitarian basis for all, our salvation wrapped up right in that observation. That how the work of the Father, Son, and the Spirit all bring us into that, what she calls it, the divine image of the Father. But So that's just a few reasons why it's important. And I'm sure there are many more, but yeah, there's there you go. There are some.
0: That's awesome. And yeah. you know what? I, I'm going to be honest with you. I got like 15 other questions I'd love to ask you. But one thing I've made a promise in this podcast, which we're new to the podcasting game. So yeah. you, you got to cut us some slack here. But <laughs> sure. I, I promise to try to keep these episodes uh, somewhere in that 20. 20- to 30 maybe 35 minute range um, right. and I think we've covered a ton of information here and we could really do part two part three part four and maybe that's mm-hmm. something you might be interested on down the road um, sure. but I think uh, we have been given more than we can uh, more than enough to chew on at least for a week so <laughs>
1: right good but right before we let you go though I, I do want to ask one one final question and you can just rapid fire this answer really quick can you give us um three recommended books on the Trinity one for a beginner I've never thought for 5 seconds about the Trinity and then maybe two others that are a little more advanced and you don't have to give us a synopsis or anything but just you know the title of the book and the author
2: Man I get that question a lot and I don't have a good answer and that pains <laughs> that pains me There's there's no easy good any easy book on the Trinity I would not recommend is that sound, I know that sounds terrible. Um, man, uh, John bears books on Nicaea are the best I've come across. Okay. Um, so, so that I'd recommend to somebody, he's a good writer. There's like three volumes. This, the, the second two are, are probably the best. Um, uh, probably, um, gosh, you know, well, even Fred Sanders is a, I don't, he's written some books on the Trinity, but see, you guys put me on a spot, man. I don't want to like, <laughs> <laughs> I, now see now I'm like, and people won't like me because I'm going to have bad things to say about what might be good books. So, um, <laughs> I got, there are bits and pieces of a lot of books that are really good. <laughs> we'll just most, and yet we can just and and I'll tell you what, John
1: bear a, books. That's okay.
2: There you go. And there's a lot of good PDFs out there. Um, too on uh, from various guys.
0: Yeah, I see you asking people for PDFs all the time.
2: I know that's, a, that's another obsession. <laughs> Whether book, books, or articles, or or whatever. But man, I see I bombed that question. I'm I'm sorry, man. That's okay. No problem, man. <laughs> no, I, yeah. I think John
0: Bear is somebody probably a lot of people haven't been exposed to, uh, and they would benefit from reading him. So I commend those books to our listeners. Uh, yeah. And good. We're think next time
2: I'll have a better answer.
0: <laughs> <There> <laughs> yeah. We, we didn't prepare you beforehand for that. So, uh, that's, that's on me. It probably, it probably wouldn't have helped on that. <laughs> <one>. I'll <laughs> take anyway. the
1: blame for that. That's okay. <laughs>
0: that, that's fine. Awesome. I
2: would have, I would have, I would have tanked that one anyway.
0: Corby, we, we've had a great time talking to you and we're super thankful you came on. Uh, I think everybody benefited. I think I benefited. I think Brandon probably benefited. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And we're excited uh, to talk to you further in the future.
2: Say goodbye